the optimal life. Wendy, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am doing great. So the Empress of Multiple Sclerosis, you call yourself the Empress of MS, and you have a trademark. Let's start there. Why did you trademark the Empress of MS? I think because I've had it so long that I just felt like I need to educate people on how to live life differently. You know, I was in the roulette wheel of just going back and forth to the doctor and not really getting any answers. I mean, I've had like probably 10 at least neurologists. And I think it's just a common thread that I hear so much of. It's just go to the doctor and you don't really get the answers that you want. You've had this uh, disease for 35 plus years now, correct? Yeah, I started having symptoms. I was 16. 16. Take us back. Let's go back to that when it first started for you. First, let's talk to the audience and educate. What exactly is multiple sclerosis for people that don't know? It is a an illness, a chronic illness of the central nervous system. So your nerve endings are called myelin, and that protection on your myelin gets damaged. So then your brain can't send the signals that it needs to correctly through your system. So if you want to move your arm or your leg, you might not get any signal or you make it a late signal or it's just unpredictable and i think that makes it so scary for so many people is you just have no idea what's going to happen next so let's dig into that a little bit with with the disease itself it's the immune system attacks the cells in the brain correct there's different theories on what happens but I mean, yeah, basically your body is just not functioning properly. And when that myelin gets damaged, there's no repairing it. So what's done is done. And nobody knows for sure why, how, how this is even caused. I know there's some studies that say it's caused by the Epstein-Barr Epstein virus. And I've done a lot of digging. I can't, you know... I don't know what the root is. It has to be a combination of all different kinds of things from genetics to our environment, to stress, to, I mean, it has to just be a cumulative effect, I think. Right. So if, if the brain, the, this is cl clearly a neurological thing where the brain is not able to interact properly with the rest of the bodies. So your physical functions begin to get jeopardized or infiltrated, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's called, from what I've seen, the multiple sclerosis is like multiple, because it, it ends up having an impact on the, the spinal cord, correct? Yes, and the brain. So the brain, which connects down back to the spinal cord, and then once these sclerosis or scars will will you uh, are developed and formed, I think you alluded to, once they're there, they're there to stay. Right. And those scars, are they kind of acting as barriers to the communication between the brain and the body? Is that what's happening? Yes. They are. Okay. Mm -hmm. So take us back. 16 years old. You're in high school. You just got your driver's license. Life is fine. Mm -hmm. I Life think. Life is great. Life is great. And what started happening to you? So I live in Wisconsin where it's cold like eight, nine months of the year. And... I think just from 
my background of, you know, once you start feeling like you're getting sick, you know, your mom tells you go take a hot bath to try to, you know, maybe get that out of your system. And I would do that, but then I'd get out and my legs would feel like they were noodles. Like it was hard to walk. And then my feet would feel kind of tingly and numb, you know, that would come and go. But I definitely noticed it was induced more by the heat. And I would tell my doctor, you go for your sports physical. And they would tell me I was still growing or maybe I was, you know, imagining it. Or one even told me I was being a girl and just being dramatic. So, of course, you just ignore it, too, because nobody else is concerned or seems to think it's a big deal. And I just kept having these weird things happening and just noticed my feet would be kind of numb, kind of like you have wool socks on all day long, you know, 24-7. You know, I'd be standing in a pile of melting snow in, like, our entryway of our house. My dad's like, you're standing in a puddle. I didn't even notice. Mm. So I think... Finally, like six years later, after I was done with college and had a you know real job, I had a bad relapse where it was like I couldn't get my words out. I don't know if I was having a stroke or what was happening, but that sent me to neurologist number one. Finally, when you say relapse, what do you mean relapse? Uh, it, it, that to me that implies that everything was fine then for a while, and then uh, then this next bad event happened. Was everything fine? Did the tingling and and the functionality of your feet go? Did, did that did that sensation go away for a few years? It literally would just come and go, it and I noticed and you're like you're tired or you're stressed out. I could just feel it starting to creep in. So every time you were tired or stressed, there was a direct correlation to then the way that your your feet would feel, your legs. So if you were stressed out and tired, your legs felt like different. They were tingly. They were heavy. It was uncomfortable. It was when uncomfortable. you were not tired and you felt energetic, how did your body feel? How did your legs feel? You know, pretty much normal. So there was something going on between the stress and maybe the lack of sleep that was intensifying the feelings, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And probably being a teenager, I didn't eat the best. I probably didn't drink enough water, I'm sure. What did your parents say? I, what, 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 you must have been complaining to them. You were 16. What were they saying? So my dad's mother had horrible rheumatoid arthritis. Like she sat in a chair. She wasn't really mobile. I mean, she could get around when she had to, but I think they probably were scared. Like this is a genetic thing and just wait and see what happens. Just you know, like the doctors were thinking. Were those teenage years, I mean, was it was it frustrating for you? You went off to college, you're trying to live your life. When, when you, Did you drink alcohol at all in college? Well, of course. Of course, okay. Because everybody else did. If you weren't doing that, then they'd wonder what's wrong with you. And I didn't want a label, of course. So I just tried to keep up with everybody else and just be like everybody else. Now, did the alcohol have any impact on the... Physical uh, functionality? Um, I could pretty much immediately feel it, you know, like a reaction as far as my balance and ability to walk straight. And it's already hard enough to do that when everything's normal. Yes. So, so I just try to stay seated and not move around a lot because I knew I'd fall. 
But so you're 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 with your peers. You're 18, 19, 12. Well, let's pretend you you would have never had a drink before twenty one. But let's let's assume that yeah. you did. Okay. Um, and you're with your peers, and you're in college, and everyone's drinking and having fun. They're dancing. They're being. You know, they're just going about themselves. And you have a drink, and then you feel like you're like stuck to the couch because your functionality is really off. I mean, did that cause some major red flags for you? Yeah, it caused a lot of stress because I knew, I already knew like there was something wrong with me, even though nobody else could tell me what it was. I just knew innately that something was happening and just didn't have a name for it. Where'd you go to college? Um, Just right in Wisconsin. Okay. Somewhere local, like a local community school or? Yeah, I started out there and then I finished um, more of an insurance directive. So, okay. So would you go home after a, a night out of, of socializing and would you, would you be emotional? Would you be upset? What, what was going on behind the scenes? Honestly, I don't think I handled it very well because I would just ignore that I had this problem. You know, whatever it was, I just pretended that I was fine. Yeah, but that had to be very hard to ignore. I mean, you knew there was something wrong. It was always there. It was caused. It's almost like the stress was compounding because it was real. You were getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. Nobody would put a label on it, and you you knew something was wrong, but nobody really wanted to listen to you. And uh, then the stress is compounding. So then it's it's making your physical matters even that much more challenging. It's like a vicious cycle. It sounds like right, exactly. And I didn't. You know, I wanted to have a normal life. I wanted to have a job. I didn't want to have this tag on me. And then, you know, you're just looking forward that no one would hire you because then you're a liability for the health insurance and whatever other programs they have. So I just tried to keep it to myself. Mm. Wow. Okay. So you go through your first six years of dealing with this thing almost alone. And then you finally said you you had some type of neurological doctor that would looked at you and, and ultimately diagnosed you with multiple sclerosis? I think it was six of them before they diagnosed me, six neurologists. Now, why is di- diagnosing somebody so hard when it comes to MS? I think because there's so many other chronic illnesses that overlap or maybe have the same symptoms or... Because maybe they do see people that are making things up. Right. So there's so many other, multiple sclerosis looks like a lot of other things. It's not like it's got its own defined set of criteria or characteristics. Is that, is that fair? Yes. So it could have been a stroke, as you alluded to earlier. It could have been something else, some kind of other chronic illness, some debilitating disease, uh, rheumato- rheumatoid arthritis, whatever you, you said about your grandmother. Mm-hmm. So there's so many and probably dozens of other things. Let's talk about signs and symptoms, though, Wendy, for people that don't know or that maybe know somebody that's kind of experiencing it. What are the major signs and symptoms of somebody that may be suffering from MS? Well, a few are just utter exhaustion, like fatigue that you can't even believe. And it's not just from feeling like you stayed up too late last night. It's just like bone crushing tired is one. And another one is the weird tingling 
sensations, whether it's your fingers or your feet or your legs or your arms, or some people have it in their face. You know, just these odd symptoms that don't make sense. And then even like vision and speech are affected. So uh, extreme exhaustion, um, blurred eyesight, tingles in the body, slurred speech, uh, inability to use your physical, like when it comes to maybe coordination, motor skills, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. Yeah, that's got to be so difficult because what you're explaining here is just that could be so many different, like even casual things. Right. Right now, my shoulder's tingling because I need to get a, a shoulder repair because it's been destroyed over the last few years. I had surgery 20 years ago. So it could have, you, you, to your point earlier, that's kind of what happens is that it's really hard to diagnose this. And they can't run a, a scan of any sorts on the brain to say, oh, yeah, this is definitely MS. There's nothing like that. Um, I had an MRI way back when, and they said I had some white spots on my brain. But then they said it was inconclusive because a normal brain might have white spots, too. So the white spots are the plaques that form and that, you know, contribute to uh, reactions or lack of reaction with your central nervous system. So what do you do if, if you're finding yourself in that situation, Wendy? You're getting extreme exhaustion. You're having trouble seeing. All of a sudden, you're, you're walking with a limp. Whatever's going on. What do you do? So looking back, well, I had problems with my eyes probably 20 some years ago. I damaged to my optic neuritis and my eye doctor is really good. And he looked at my eyes and he said he could see all the scar tissue. And he said, this might be MS. And he said, he didn't really read my history. I said, well, I've had it for, you know, 20 years already. Or no, actually it was probably 10 years already. But I think that from that aspect, like a, good eye doctor is trained to look for that type of damage. And I think the neurologist number seven that finally diagnosed me did a spinal tap on me and some of the proteins in my blood pointed to be an MS. Mm. So you wish you would have done that sooner, seen an eye doctor, an eye specialist, and um, somebody that was doing some type of spinal cord exam, spinal tap. Even though that's, you know, it's a dangerous kind of test. And he failed to tell me to go home and lay down. So then I went back to work. And then, of course, when you have something like that, then you have a horrible headache for, I think I had one for four or five days where I couldn't even, like, comprehend what I was even doing. The headache was so intense mm -hmm. that you couldn't even have a, a, a normal thought. You couldn't think clearly. No, I just, it just, I can't even explain it. I'll never forget it. But I mean, you just can't even pick your head up. It hurts so bad. That's only happened that one time to you? Yes. Do you know why that happened? Because of the spinal fluid they took. Mm, okay. So there's other risks associated with that exam. When you say that that's a dangerous exam, there's th those types of things. Okay. Yeah. I mean, your body can't remake that spinal fluid that fast. So you're living with MS for all these years. 
And you just talked about some of the signs and symptoms, which again, I mean, those things could be a lot of different things. But if somebody has MS, then what do they do? What are, what they, they told you, they diagnosed you, and they told you, Wendy, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you have MS. Um, now what? What are the treatments? What are the, the therapies? How, how do you handle it? So when I was diagnosed, there wasn't much for information online. They gave me a stack of booklets that pretty much gave this grim outlook of how you might end up, how your life might you know, end up being looking like. And they didn't really have much for treatments. I think they had a few that were in test mode, but they didn't really have any fusions or anything like that. They definitely didn't talk about taking care of yourself to maybe alleviate some of the symptoms. Um, there really wasn't anything proactive. And looking back, I mean, that could have been like a five minute addition to the conversation instead of just sending people home with sack booklets to figure out what's next, you know, just getting your sleep at night. And I know if your legs are, you know, not relaxed or feel like they're tingling or like they want to keep moving, that's hard to sleep. And I think going forward is that's part of what I do for people is just look at everything in your life and how can you break it down? You know, the things, these gaps in care that everybody misses, you know, like the sleep, the drinking water. I mean, that's huge just to keep your cells flushed. And if you are in medicine, that's so important to keep drinking to flush this out. So the, the hydration is really important for this. You feel that your body is, is more, is communicating better. Your brain is communicating better with your body when you're hydrated. I believe that. I believe it helps, mm -hmm. you know, get rid of the brain fog. What about vitamin D? I think that's huge too. Vitamin D uh, deficiency is not a good thing for someone with MS. Is that correct? I believe that's true. And I also read a study of, um, it had to do with like your mom, when you're, when you're in utero, I can't remember what develops. I should have looked it up. Something develops when you're like six months in. And if you're not, if your mom's not exposed to enough sunshine, they're correlating that to have an autoimmune diseases too. Mm. And I can't remember what it was, but it was really important. And I live in Wisconsin and there is zero sunshine in December, which would have been my mom's six month mark with me. So you, you have this holistic approach. You're talking about very simple things, vitamin D, sunshine, whether it's sunshine supplement or both staying hydrated, drink a lot of water, get rest, get sleep. I mean, these things are not, this isn't rocket science. It sounds like. So you have a uh, this holistic approach and the four co cornerstones framework that I want you to talk a little bit about. So what are those things that you are doing now? You, your mission has become to help other people, uh, I think specifically women who are experiencing MS, who are struggling, who may need some assistance and guidance. So talk about the holistic approach you're taking and then talk dig into those four cornerstones. Sure. I think going back to the way... I was treated at the doctor and continually, I mean, they're 
always very kind, but you're in the office for 20, 30 minutes, and then you're back out the door. And I just don't feel like people are heard or seen or understood, you know, that nobody tries to understand what they're doing. They just try to mask symptoms and send you back out the door. And I think that's the first thing is just listening to people, you know, just listening to what they're dealing with and just to make them feel validated. It was a big part of it. And then once we dive in, you know, I believe once you start with your mindset and just to be able to have faith in yourself and have faith that you can take these steps towards healing. And I'm not saying I'm replacing the doctors, just to walk alongside them and help them navigate this, you know, just get through the hard days and give them the tools to get through the hard days. You know, and the second one is your body. It's like, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you putting on your body? There are so many synthetic chemicals in our country that are in so many products. It's just unbelievable. I mean, there's been like 80,000 synthetic chemicals created since World War II, and they're all around us and they cause inflammation. You know, and our body doesn't know what to do with those. So I think everybody just stores them until something happens, outward signs. And I really think if you're dealing with a chronic illness, you really need to read your labels and know what you're eating and drinking and using around your home. And then the relationship aspect. Do you have people to talk to? You know, you might have people around you, but do they really hear you? And do they care? Or do they just dismiss you and say, well, I'm tired too. So, you know, go on with their day. I think that aspect that I said a few minutes ago about being seen and heard and understood is huge. You know, and and the last one is your environment. What are you bringing into your house? Are you burning candles that are full of toxins? Your laundry soap. I mean, you wear clothes all day and if you're using laundry soap with synthetics in your skin absorbs that all through the day and then you think about your bedding you're laying on that all night and like I said your body has no idea what to do with those chemicals you mentioned relationships and obviously I think what you're talking about is community having a community, having a support system, a support group, a person to confide in and, and help you through it almost in, in like a therapy mode. Um, but when I think of relationships too now, I wonder how the, your relationships have been impacted by this disease. If you dig in and reflect on your life, how do you believe this MS has impacted your relationships, both friendships and even romantic relationships? I think as far as friendships, you know, some people, I'm just too much for them, especially now that I'm doing a lot more speaking and writing and talking about it. I think that part of it, it's like, who's ever meant to be in your life will be there for you. And as far as- When you say too much for them, why why too much? Um. I guess naturally I'm kind of quiet, but 
if I'm in a group setting, I, you know, I won't be the first one to be talking, but I'm fine going on interviews or shows and talking about my life. So I think now that they're seeing that, it's just, it might be too much. And are these friends that also have MS or they don't? No, they don't have MS. But why Why is it so too much for them that you're actually sharing your, your truth and you're helping other people through your mission? Why? I'm trying. I'm not correlating. Why is that too much for them to handle? It's not impacting them negatively. No, I think maybe just sharing the showing them their shadow side that they would never do something like that. Perhaps. Hmm. So you feel like you've actually lost friendships in recent years because of you being more vocal about your illness. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Sad for them, I think. Yes. Very sad for them. Mm-hmm. Why would anybody hold you back from helping other people? That's really what you're doing. Right. Hmm. I'm having trouble understanding that, but hey, it sounds like you got rid of some people that you didn't need in your life any, uh, anyway. I think I believe that. But but let's stick, stick on the friendship thing still, too. When you look over the last several decades, from college to your adult life, 30s, 40s, do you feel like your your relationships have been impacted all along? Do you think that you would have had different types of relationships, different types of connections and bonds had you not had MS? It's hard to say because I kind of just went through life ignoring it, you know, until it got so bad that I couldn't ignore it anymore. So probably the first 20 years, I just didn't talk about it with anybody. And that must have made things even more bizarre for your people that you were socializing with, because while it was uncomfortable for you, they're sitting across from you and maybe even thinking to themselves, huh, I wonder if something was a little, you know, right? I mean, sometimes maybe you you didn't hear them well, or you were having a bad day and your body wasn't feeling great and it was impacting the way you were communicating with them. And they might have just thought that you were just, this is just who you were all the time. That's possible. Right. What about on the romantic side? How has this impacted you uh, uh, in your personal intimate relationship? I think I would just try to play down, play it down. Because, I mean, we have no idea what, no matter if you're dealing with something like this or not, you have no idea what your future holds. I mean, you could have an accident or illness at any point in your life. So I think I always just tried to downplay it and... I don't know. That's a good question. Hmm. So did, did, has the disease impacted you? I've, I've During my research, it said that the disease could even impact people sexually. Has Have you found it to impact you negatively or hold you back in any ways? I think, well, it's probably about 2006. I had a really bad attack and it was after my second baby was born and like my whole like from my waist down it was like numb and like that didn't come back so I mean even when I was 25 I had a damage like to my bladder and that area so which is another huge problem which is common for people with MS is just bathroom problems yes and, and pain, obviously, in those areas, the bladder, 
the waist, the hips. There's there's pain, it sounds like. I don't have pain because it's all like kind of numb, but it's I think numb. a lot of other it's people numb. do. Okay. So some people have numb, some people have pain, maybe something, some people have something else even. Right. It's not one size fits all, which again, back to what we've said several times, what makes the, the disease hard to diagnose. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you have how many children? Uh, two boys. Two boys. Okay. And how old are they? Um, 19 and 17 now. Now, when they've gotten into that age, they're in the late teen years when it all started for you. Has that been has that been something you've had to work through to keep from letting your brain and mind go crazy? I'm like, oh, my God, it's it's about that time. Maybe my boys are going to get it now. Honestly, I just kind of kept watching them. And, you know, I'd ask them questions every once in a while, especially because they're both runners. So I would ask them, you know, after they're done running at their meet, you know, how do your legs feel? Anything feel weird? I mean, I didn't worry about it. I just leave that, you know. To it's always there, though. I mean, for you to ask that question, it clearly shows that this is something that you've dealt with. A, a mother who hasn't ever dealt with MS wouldn't even know to ask that. It wouldn't even be on her mind. Right. So it's it's there. It's there in the subconscious state probably all the time. Mm-hmm. I assume your boys are fine. They are. Okay, well, that's great. And... I mean, you've gone through some some pretty tough things, uh, Wendy, in your life. Mm-hmm. You've had the MS, and from what I've seen too, it, it sounds like you had some some problems in a um, toxic marriage or toxic relationship at some point. There was drugs, there was alcohol. You, you mind sharing some of that? Yeah. So, oh, I was pretty young. It was probably right after I started my job. I was like in my early 20s. And this guy was from this really nice family and, you know, pretty upscale. And they enabled him. So what a shocker, Uh, an upscale family that's enabling their children. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. So he just spent lots of time in the bar, because that's what everybody did. And then his friends started doing more drugs, and I think they were even growing some in his house. But we were, I think we were married for about 16 months, and I just couldn't take it. I'm like, I'm done. We're out of here. But right before that happened, he got brought home by the police. It was around Christmas time, and I'm like, because he was drunk driving, and I thought, this, it's done. Like, I'm not living like this. And his mother was trying to talk me into having kids because she really wanted some grandkids. And he promised he was going to quit all his bad habits because he would have a, you know, a baby to take care of. And I thought, I'm just, I, I just, in my gut, I just knew I had to get away and just Mm -hmm. be done. And his mother would just, I was, she was always reading and trying to figure out what I had because she didn't believe I had MS. She thought it was Lyme's disease or I don't remember what all she was kind of crazy. Go figure. So (laughs) like 10 years after we got divorced, he ended up dying in a fire. He was still drinking, came home from the bar. He was getting divorced from his second wife now. And he lived in this apartment building, but in like the basement level. So he was smoking and passed out on the couch. 
His whole apartment was torched. Everybody else, thank God, got out of the apartment building. So what did you learn from those lessons? What did you learn of being in a 16-month relationship with somebody that was abusing alcohol and drugs? How does somebody that's dealing with that, what do they have to do? I mean, I know the easy thing is to say, just get up and leave. But we all know that when you're in that situation and you've got a, a home with somebody and you've started a life and your friends and family just came to the wedding a year ago and blah, 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 you know, all these different things. It's so much easier said than done. So someone that's finding themselves in that early stage cycle, what, 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 what can they do to start making some progress to maybe getting out of it? Well, you have to make a plan. You got to make sure your credit is in good order. Have your own credit card, have your own checking account and just your name, you know, get all your finances like figured out and just, I know there's resources around that, you know, places will help you to make your plan, especially if they're abusive. I mean, you can't live like that. You got to get out because it's never going to get any better, no matter what they say. That's exactly it right there. You just hit the nail on the head. It's never going to get any better, no matter what they say. Mm-hmm. That 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 is so perfectly stated. So I think what you're saying is if, the, see, if you see the red flags now, those red flags don't turn white. They don't turn yellow. They don't turn pink. They stay red and they get even darker shades of red as time goes on. Yes. Mm. Were you abused? No, he would just throw things a lot. He wrecked a lot of the walls in our house, but did he ever disrespect you or or degrade you because of your your illness? No, not because of that. He just didn't have a very good language when he was drinking or drinking. now this isn't the this isn't the father of your children, I take it. No. Okay. Okay. And you are married currently. Yes, I'm married for the second time now. I guess my question for you is, as you look over your course of your life and you're now you're really sharing your truth and your mission, what has been like the biggest challenge over the last X amount of years? What's, what do you find is the number one challenge that you have to deal with on a day-to-day when it comes to this MS? I think just keeping everything balanced because balance is an illusion. And I think... In America, as women, you're supposed to feel like you got all your stuff together. You know, your kids are perfect and you got perfect meals and your house is spotless, which is just ridiculous. But I think just giving yourself grace is what I've learned. It's like, I'll get done what I get done. Are you able to exercise at all? Yes. I have a rowing machine that I bought that I love. Oh, nice. That's a great workout. So do it as little, as much as you want. What about yoga, meditation, anything like that? Yes, I definitely meditate every morning. And if I need a break during the day, just if it's nice out, I'll go sit outside and just take some deep breaths, you know, five how, deep breaths. How long do you meditate for? 20 minutes? Um, I My goal is 30. So sometimes I have to break it up. but. And you do that daily? Or as mess, as much as you can. Yeah, and I think almost every day. Just trying to be quiet, just to let things come in, is so important. Do you find the days that you're exercising and meditating, those are days that are easier for you when it comes to the the disease, or is it not really having an impact on the day to day? 
I think the meditation for sure, but I think the exercise is tiring. So, it mm. just, you know, I try to do it towards the end of the day when I'm tired anyway. So, so then maybe it helps you sleep better at night. Yes. What about alcohol use? Are you able to enjoy any wine now or do you stay away from it all? I don't drink any alcohol. You don't. Yeah. And I assume anyone that has MS probably shouldn't be doing that. You know, like, like any other debilitating disease, alcohol is not going to help the situation. No, it just makes it worse. Yeah. Well, I I am uh, so appreciative that you're willing to share your story and be so open and vulnerable. Uh, people that want to find you, where can they find you online, social media, et cetera? Sure. I'm on Facebook, just under my name, Wendy Bjork, and then Instagram at the Empress of a Mess. And then my website is heartsofwellness.com, which is just a, I guess, a resource, you know, just start there. And then if you're ready to dive in, I do work one-to-one with people in a coaching program. I have a members portal that I created to just have a spot, you know, for people to go to. I record meditations each month. I have a new theme each month. So August was all about peace. And so there's oil, essential oils information in there. And that website is just heartsofwellness.com and then backslash portal. Great. And we will make sure we link you up in the show notes, guys. If you want to learn more about Wendy, her mission, if you want to work with her, click the link in the show notes, take a look, see what she's got to offer. Um, And uh, I th- there was one other thing I just wanted to ask you, but now I'm drawing a blank. And that doesn't happen to me very often, Wendy. I don't draw blanks usually on this podcast. Um, but I'm sure if I if it comes back to me, we'll, we'll link whatever I had in my mind in the show notes. But check her out. And uh, like I said, it's really awesome that you're able to share your story, share your truth, be authentic, and um, wishing you nothing but the best. Well, thank you. And, you know, you asked me a question at the beginning that I really didn't finish answering. <laughs> it was why the empress of a mess and that's because i've been doing this so long that i now see that if i can do it anybody can so it hasn't been you know all unicorns and rainbows that's not the whole theme behind the empress line it's because it's about empowering others that's beautiful and as you were saying it it did just come back to me so let me finish back let me throw it back to you you said the theme in august was peace Mm -hmm. what's the theme for september It's around back to school and keeping the germs out. Back to school and keeping the germs out. Okay. There you have it, folks. Hey, Wendy, thank you so much again. Thank you.